0: Communication is complicated. It seems like it's so easy to have miscommunication when you're just trying to talk with someone else. I find this happening really often uh, when someone starts a conversation and you get about halfway through and you realize, I don't know what the subject matter is that we're talking about. My kids do this to me all the time. They'll start talking and I think I'm paying attention. They're talking about a video game or something that happened at school. And we get about halfway into the conversation and they ask me a question. Hey, dad, can I do X, Y, and Z? And it's based on the thing they've just been talking about. And I have to stop and go, I'm sorry, what are we talking about? Because I don't wanna say yes to something and not know what it is that I'm agreeing to. Because a lot of miscommunication can happen when you don't understand the context of your conversation. So it's so important that you pay attention to what you've been talking about all along so that when it gets to the question, to the climax of the conversation, you know how to respond. I want you to think for a second about how you feel about the book of Revelation in the Bible. I think a lot of us have some anxiety or some unease when it comes to this text. We don't know what to do with it, or some of us get really excited about studying it because we have these ideas that we bring to the text. But a lot of our confusion or anxiety around the book of Revelation comes from some misunderstanding or some miscommunication with the text We really don't understand the context of Revelation, and that leads us to all kinds of problems when we try to read and study and apply the book of Revelation. Revelation 1-1 through 3 opens with a description of what the text is, and I think it helps give us some context so we can learn from the text of Revelation. It says in Revelation 1, 1 through 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. In the first three verses of Revelation, it gives three words, three descriptive words to tell us what type of book it is. The first is the word revelation or apocalypsis in the original language. The second is the word witness. And the third is the word Prophecy. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions about apocalyptic and prophetic writing. Uh, What comes to your mind when you hear the word apocalyptic or apocalypse? Apocalypse. For a lot of us, when we hear these words, we think of world-ending events or zombies or something like that, something from science fiction. But these words actually mean to reveal or make known. This is where the name of the book comes from, the idea that the apocalypse of John, the revelation of John, is something that would be making things known. It would reveal things. Similarly, when we hear the words prophecy or prophet, we tend to think of predicting the future. That's what usually comes to our mind. But the words actually mean uh, to speak for God, especially warning about the consequences of rejecting God and God's way of life. And the book of Revelation is not unique in the ancient world. In fact, it's one of several apocalyptic writings from the same time period and culture. This genre of writing, apocalyptic literature, uses bold, highly symbolic language to point people to the spiritual realities behind the social and political situations of their time. And if we're able to understand how ancient Israeli apocalyptic writing works, it'll help us better understand the book of Revelation because it gives us some context for the book. We also need to remember that Revelation was a letter. Earlier this year, we actually, as a church, took a look at the seven churches who originally received this apocalyptic letter from John. And we looked at their historical context. These were real people in real churches at a real point in history facing real challenges. And the book of Revelation was designed to help this original audience, real people in real places at a real point in history, who lived almost 2000 years ago to understand the day-to-day realities that they were facing. But the book of Revelation wasn't just for them. It does have something to say for us today. Today we're going to look a little bit at Revelation chapter 21. So we're going from the beginning of the book to the almost end of the book. And Revelation 21 is interesting because it kind of wraps up the story or the message of Revelation. This is what Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne, saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Most people talk about going to heaven. When they die or at the end of time, they expect that heaven is some place they will go to. But I think it's interesting that the language here in Revelation 21 talks about a new heaven and a new earth that God is bringing this city, Jerusalem, to earth from where he is. In verse three here, Revelation 21 says that God's home is now... Among his people. See, Revelation 21 is telling us what the mission of God is, what it is that God is doing in the world. Revelation 21 describes the reality that God is working toward. And verse 5 says that God, who's described there as sitting on the throne, is saying, I am making everything new, everything new, fresh, new. This world that we now experience will be radically changed because God is bringing heaven to earth. Verse 1 opens with the idea that the old earth has disappeared, and it also says there, interestingly, that the sea has gone. And this is our first indication about what it is that God is doing in the world. Why aren't there any seas? Well, in lots of places around the world, when a sea exists one of the main things that it does, it divides people groups. It's hard to cross bodies of water. It's expensive, it's it's time-taking. So a lot of times people would gather on opposite sides of seas and the seas would serve as boundaries between nations and people groups. Simply put, when it says that the seas are gone, What it's selling us here is that there's unity between people in this new reality that God is ushering in. The old earth that's done away with is the way we lived before, which has these divisions, this uh, separation between people. Later on in Revelation 21, in verse 25, it says, all the nations, all of them, all of the nations will bring their glory and honor into this city, the city of Jerusalem, this new reality that God is creating. So what we see here is that in the newness that God is creating, everyone is invited. Everyone is invited, regardless of where they come from, what language they speak, what their socioeconomic background is. Everyone is invited. And this would have been just as shocking to the original audience who cared very deeply about social order and deciding who was in and who was out as it probably is for us today. But this is just the beginning of what this new reality will look like. In verse 4 of Revelation 21, it says, he, talking about the king, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. In this new reality, there is no more sickness or pain. For some of us, the the idea of sickness and pain being gone is very significant. We know someone who is suffering with cancer, who has died uh, of a preventable illness or an unpreventable illness. We've seen firsthand the pain of illness. And we're told here that not only is everyone invited, but in the new reality that God is creating, no one is hurting. That these things are eradicated. Revelation 21 also tells us in verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. Well, that seems kind of odd for a place where worship is going to be happening, where God's uh, new way of life is ushered in. It says, I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Well, what does it mean that there's no need for a temple? Well, it tells us here that God now dwells directly with people. There's no need to go somewhere to worship, but worship happens everywhere all at once in this new reality that God is creating. Similarly, in verse 23, it said this, and the city has no need for sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its light. This place has no sun or moon. In Genesis, the book at the beginning of the Bible, it tells us that God created light before he created the sun, moon, and stars. And we believe there, when we look at that, that it's telling us that God is able to illuminate life into the universe and provide all the light that we need without the heavenly bodies. And what we see here at Revelation 21 is that once again, that would be reality, that God provides all the light we need. Revelation 21 3 has already told us that God's home is now among his people. So everyone is invited, no one is hurting, and God is fully present we also see this new city, this new reality that God is creating, that there's no evil there. Listen to verses 24 to 27. The nations will walk in its light. The kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter. No one who practices shameful idolatry or dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I want you to think about why you lock your doors. For most of us, we, we have an anxiety, a fear, that someone's going to come in and either harm us or take our stuff. If you're anything like me, I know I can't go to bed at night without thinking two or three times. Did I lock the front door? Are all my doors and windows locked? Did I lock my car? Because we have this constant fear that evil is coming. But this isn't the way we will live in the new reality that God is creating. Mark Moore says this, In the new Jerusalem, it will lack everything that hinders us from full righteousness. Everything that we read about in Genesis 3, where humans chose to willfully disobey God and and brought sin and evil into our world, all of the after effects of that reality are undone in what God will be doing and is doing in Revelation 21. Everyone is invited. No one is hurting. God is fully present and nothing bad happens. So maybe at this point, after looking through Revelation 21, you're saying, man, won't that be great? I just, I can't wait to finally be in that reality. But it's not just a future reality that Revelation 21 is talking about. In Revelation chapter one, verse five, which we read earlier, it says that God, the king, says, I am making everything new. I am making present tense. Here and now, God is in the business of making everything new. It reminds me of what Jesus said to his close followers when he taught them how to pray. In what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer, it says, your kingdom come, talking to the Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He taught his close followers that when they speak to the Father, when they pray to God, they should ask that his rule, his reign, his way of life, his kingdom come into their world, to their here and now, so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is exactly what God's mission is. Revelation 21 shows us the work that God is not only doing in our world, but that God is inviting us into. See, we currently live between two realities. There is brokenness in our world, but the wholeness that God offers is being made right now. And we are asked to invite this wholeness into our lives, and into our realities. God is making everything new. The question for us becomes, how do we live in the in-between, between the brokenness and the wholeness? Well, I think there's an interesting analogy here of gardening. I'm not a gardener. I, I would love to be. Every now and then I try to plant things, but they don't really grow very well. So I actually had to reach out to my good friend who has a, an extensive garden in his backyard and just ask him, what are the steps when you garden? What are the things you need to do? And step one is, has to do with the soil. You have to tend the soil. And, and this involves a couple of things. One, you have to remove all of the weeds that are going to mess with the crops. If you want to grow things in dirt, you have to get rid of the weeds. And when we think about our lives as gardening and us participating with God in the making of all things new, we need to remove the weeds of all these things that God is in the business of doing away with. We need to remove the weeds of division and pain and distance from God and evil. And there are different arenas of our life that we can take these things out in. Maybe for you, it's, it's something personal that you've been contributing to these things growing in your life, division and pain, distance from God and evil in the world. Maybe these things exist in your family and you need to do the hard work of weeding them out. Maybe they are real and present in our church or in your community or in the world around you. And in all of these areas, as people who are ushering in the work that God is doing, we need to remove the weeds so that we can tend the soil and help get it ready. But also when you garden, you don't just remove things from the soil. You also add in the proper nutrients. They call this amending the soil. And the reality is that if we are going to create the environment for God to make all things new in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, then that means that we need to develop spiritual habits that will connect us deeply to the heart of God so that we can begin to be prepared by God to let these things grow. So step one is tend the soil. Step two is plant seeds. See, there are things that we can do that we can put into our lives, not just to get the soil right for these things to grow, but we need to actually plant seeds of connection and service and worship and good works. Maybe for you, you can connect with someone who is different than you. God is in the business of breaking down boundaries and and bringing unity into the world. So maybe the thing that you need to do is to connect with someone who is different than you. Maybe for you, the thing that you need to do is to serve the global church. We can become very single-minded and selfish in the way we serve. But if we serve those who have no way to repay us, if we put out our service to the global church, it can make a huge difference. Maybe you need to begin to help hurting people. Or you need to commit to a spiritual habit that will make God real in your life. Or maybe you need to work hard to stay connected to your church family. Or maybe you need to do good even when it costs you something. When we do these type of things, we take these kind of actions. What we're actually doing is planting seeds of the kind of work that God is in the process of doing in our lives. So we tend the soil. We plant the seeds. And the last step is that we nurture the crops. There's a saying that the grass is greener where you water it. And I think this is true in physical things and spiritual things. See, if you were to plant a crop, whether it be, you know, a pepper plant uh, in your backyard or some flowers in your garden out front, it's going to need water and sun to provide the nutrition for it to grow. And when it comes to the things that God is making new in the world around us, The places we put our emotional energy, the relationships that we invest in, the way we spend our time and our money will determine how fertile our lives are gonna be and how much the crops are going to produce. We also need to spend some time pruning. Last week, Ronnie spent some time talking about how God prunes in our lives. But one of the things we can do to make sure we're clipping out the distracting things or the dead parts of our life is to constantly check our motivations and ask ourselves, am I doing this for the right reason? The Bible opens in the book of Genesis with the picture of God placing the first humans in a beautiful garden and giving them responsibility and opportunity to flourish. And although we've drifted from that initial place that God created for us, we're told here in Revelation 21 that all of the brokenness that we see around us eventually will be shaped into a new, well-designed, thriving city, a place that is lush with life, a place that is good for humanity, that God is in the business of making all things new, and he's creating a new reality for us. We are to cultivate a way of life here and now that honors the God who makes everything new.